Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Sarah Kostad. Sarah, welcome to Healthful Woman. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I ask everyone this, is this your first podcast? Absolutely. First time ever being recorded. In your life, ever. Okay. Do you, <laughs> as far as do, I know. Yeah. Do you, do you listen to podcasts? I do. Yeah. I okay. Do. So you're familiar with the format of, mm-hmm. of speaking. Sarah is one of the OBGYNs at Maternal Fetal Medicine Associates. We practice together. And you've been with us for, I guess, now a year and a half, right? A year and a half, yeah. Flew by. That's It's really amazing. It's unbelievable. So Sarah, tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and how you found yourself into medical school and residency and whatnot. I'm from LA originally. I grew up there. I ended up going back there for medical school after I did college here in New York. I spent a lot of time when I was a kid kind of you know, at the pediatrician's office, and I always just found like the whole like just being at the doctor, I I just found it, I didn't like going there, but I also just found it so fascinating. So I think that it's something I've always wanted to go into medicine. Like it's something that's been like a goal for me even since I was younger. So you're like a big science person and whatnot. And and, like I got a, I got a microscope for like a Hanukkah present when I was eight. I had a friend who had like these little like insect specimens, we would cut them up. And I loved, I loved all of that. Like all that gross stuff. <laughs> and did you have any doctors in your family? No, only lawyers um, who told me not to go to law school, interestingly enough. So there you are, you're in LA, you're cutting up bugs, looking through microscopes, and you come to New York for college, you come back to LA for medical school. And how did you decide in medical school that you wanted to do OBGYN as a career? I had shadowed a family friend who was an OBGYN before I started medical school. She was actually in residency at the time, and she kind of just let me show up at the hospital and and follow her around, which I think would be hard to do nowadays, (laughs) just completely randomly. But I was just, I watched her do a C-section, and I was just amazed. Just at the fact, first of all, just seeing my first delivery, but also at seeing just how she, in such a hands-on way, like helped another patient. But when I got to medical school, I think I I got a lot of discouragement from people who said, oh, OBGYN. GYN, the hours are so hard, kind of pushing me into, these are mainly like other doctors that were actually not OBGYNs kind of telling me this. So I, I think for a while, I kind of put it aside and tried to have an open mind to other specialties, but I just kept coming back to OBGYN. I loved my rotation. I, you know, obviously participated in more deliveries. I loved taking care of women. I loved the hands-on aspect of being able to, you know, fix a problem much more immediately. I liked the fact that I was like such an important part of women's lives. So pretty much after my rotation, that just clinched it for me. Pretty much all of us had a very similar experience where we were immediately captivated and we said, wow, this is amazing. And then after that, we spent the rest of our time trying to figure out what everybody else said, don't go into this field, right? And yeah. most of them were not OBGYNs. Obviously some were, but so many people were scared by the hours, as you said, that this idea of being up at night or having to work weekends or because yeah, that's when people have either they go into labor or they've got ecologic emergencies or whatnot. And it's interesting because, yeah, the hours are tough, but if you if you enjoy what you're doing and you're able to find sort of a work environment where it's not, you know, gruesome or too physically taxing, it's all quite doable in that sense, at least from a, you know, a, a physical standpoint. It does 
make some things more difficult, like having a regular schedule is, is a little more complicated. But yeah, it's really, I think a lot of people have, have told me they had the same experience of someone discouraging them from doing it. Yeah, that's the conclusion I came to. I saw pretty much in every specialty I rotated through, everyone was working very, very hard and seemed to be working longer hours. And frankly, I, I again, a lot of credit to dermatologists, which was, that's a specialty everyone held up as an example, like, you know, dermatology of like really regular hours. It just didn't, I wasn't passionate about it, but I loved, you know, even overnight, you know, calls on the OB rotation. I, I like, I loved those calls. So I think if you're doing something that you love, even if it's, it's more time intensive, you just get so much satisfaction out of it. hundred percent agree with that. I couldn't agree more. When I speak to medical students, sometimes they ask me for advice. What's it like going into OBGYN? What's it like being a man in OBGYN or whatever it is? And they're always thinking, well, if I, this field, I'll better hours or this field, it's I can do shifts or this field, it's whatever. And I say, you know, ultimately you have to do what you're interested in and what you love because you're talking about spending 20 to 50 years doing the same thing. And if it's not interesting to you, you're not going to enjoy it. No matter how many hours you work, you're going to burn out immediately. But if you find it intellectually stimulating, if you find it rewarding, and also you could change your hours. A lot of it is just based on what kind of job you want to take. There are OBGYNs who work more set hours and there's some that work crazy hours and there's everything in between. And there's a lot of opportunities, but ultimately you have to love what you're doing. And someone who picks a field of medicine to go through all medical school, residency, and, you know, as training and pick a field that you don't really like because it has better hours. Like you may be better off doing a different career, just yeah. be easier, you know, go to law school. You know, most lawyers don't get called in at three in the morning, but again, if you don't love it, what's the point? No, uh, I agree. Uh, so it's okay. So you decide you're not listening to all the naysayers, you're doing OBGYN. And then, of course, someone who's spent her whole life in either L.A. or New York, where do you end up for residency? Omaha, Nebraska. <laughs> Omaha, Nebraska, the Midwest, which is, of course, you know, I'm from Midwest, not Nebraska. And what was what was that like for you? When I moved to Omaha, I had actually I was at, I did my residency at the University of Nebraska Medical Center, which is actually famous now because it's receiving all of the coronavirus patients that are being quarantined. It's an extremely large referral center in the Midwest. And when I went to residency there, I had actually never been anywhere between, I had not even been to Chicago yet. So I had never been anywhere between LA or, or New York. And when I visited, I was just really impressed with the program. It's a smaller program. The residents were very warm and friendly and it had a kind of a nice feel of, let's say, maybe the warmth of, let's say, a community hospital, but the, you know, it was a, it was a transplant center, major medical center. It had a very a big high risk pregnancy practice. So I kind of got the benefits of being in, like, in a warmer environment, but also having exposure to a lot of just good basic OBGYN practice, but then also I got to meet a lot of patients that were that were transferred there from rural areas for, you know, for various high risk issues. Right. And in the states that are crawling, you know, there that there's more rural and whatnot, there tends to be fewer big hospitals, but they attract like a three to four hour radius. Oh yeah. And so anyone who has any problem, they'll get driven there, they'll get sent by helicopter. Sometimes they get sent by small planes mm -hmm. based on where they're coming from. And so you have a tremendous experience. So, you know, if you go to Nebraska, 
the university, that's the place to be in pretty much the whole state, I would imagine. We had some patients from around the world there because Omaha itself actually has a very like more international population than I think many people think because there's so many graduate schools. And we also, because of the transplant center, you know, some of the, the mothers of some of the, their children who were undergoing transplants in the pediatric center, you know, they would then be pregnant. So we took care of a lot of the moms that were just, because they would live in Omaha for like a couple years. I mean, there are patients from, again, around the world there that, so we took care of those moms with their next pregnancy while they were like living in Omaha. I remember we had a lot of patients from after Hurricane Katrina happened that were evacuated there and we delivered their babies as well. So I really met a a really wide variety of patients. We also worked at a a clinic that saw a lot of patients from some of the Native American reservations that were in Nebraska and the Omaha area as well. So I actually say it was one of the most diverse patient populations that I've worked in, which many people find surprising. You picture the Midwest as being very homogenous. You know, I, I met a lot of Sudanese refugees there as well who were brought to Nebraska during that time. So I met, you know, I was always on the interpreter phone. I probably in one day would sometimes, you know, do five or six different languages on the interpreter phone wow. <laughs> speaking to patients. And as you said, you you had also the benefits of all the the niceness that yeah. you see in the Midwest, all the friendly folks. I mean, I, I love living in New York. I'm really glad I'm here now, but I have very warm memories of that of that time. And so you went from there to Chicago. Yes. And how long were you in Chicago? I was in Chicago for three years after residency. That's where I'm from. In fact, Sarah met my brother and sister-in-law. Yeah, before uh, I even met Chicago. you. Yes, I was the, the second fox that you met, or I guess third, if you include my sister-in-law. What was it like in Chicago? How was your time there? It's a like Midwest, but a bigger city, maybe. Going back to Chicago, it's very different, obviously, from, you know, still from LA or New York, but it kind of was a little bit of welcome back to the, you know, the urban, <laughs> urban life. Although Chicago, I still feel like, again, I, I have great memories from there too. There's definitely still a, a certain like, you know, warmth, I think that you get. I definitely miss sometimes. It's a big city with a very, like a little bit of a smaller town feel. As much as I liked Omaha, I wanted to be in a little bit of a, you know, like a bigger city. A great gauge of, of what the, the culture of a city is like is get on an elevator. And if you get on an elevator and everyone says good morning to you, you're probably in the Midwest. Yeah. And if you get on the elevator and say good morning to people and they pepper spray you, you're right. probably not. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's just a culture thing. And I, you know, I've been in New York now. I grew up in Chicago. I've been in New York a very or New York, New Jersey, a very long time. And I think the people out here are actually just as nice. I don't think it's it's an issue of like nicest. I just think it's sort of the social norms of being out outgoing and Mm -hmm. sort of being friendly and introducing yourself to people. When I take the subway, everyone's just very busy. It's crowded and everyone's busy. Everyone's just trying to get on. But, you know, I've been in situations on the subway or on a bus, like if someone, you know, falls or passes out, so many people here will come to help them and try to do right and everything. So I think everyone has the right heart and, you know, is kind. It's just not normal around here to say good morning to everybody in the subway. People will think there's something wrong with you or you're trying to sell them something. Whereas in the Midwest, you know, it's much more common to just sort of walk on and say hello to people and start talking to them. It's it's considered normal. Yeah, I agree. I think New Yorkers sometimes seem a little tougher on the outside and then, but like, I think once you get to know people, I agree. Like, again, I've made wonderful friends here, really enjoyed here. And I, I whenever I go back to LA, LA friends and family, like I'll say like, you don't seem like you're from here anymore. <laughs> like I have some of like a, I don't know, I, whatever you would describe it, some sort of, maybe I'm not as, as laid back as I as I used when, to be. When you throw an elbow in the buffet line. and Right, know. yeah. <laughs> I, I think the main thing they say is I, I, I walk really fast. 
Like yeah. if I'm go- going somewhere, I'll just like zoom ahead. I'll weave kind of, you know, like around people on the sidewalk. And they'll... Right. I didn't, I thought no one in LA actually walked anywhere. I thought you have to drive. So yeah, that's, that's <laughs> another thing. The fact that I just walk at all. <laughs> and so you, from Chicago, you came back to the East Coast. You were working in an environment where you were basically on labor and delivery for everything for your entire job, correct? Yep. I, I was at Hackensack Hospital as an OB hospitalist, which I think is a position that not a lot of you know, even medical students or residents are. They're getting more familiar with it. But I worked only on labor and delivery. So I didn't have my own patients. I didn't see patients in an office. I had 12-hour shifts on labor and delivery, some nights and some days and, and weekends, where I would basically be there just to cover any deliveries of, first of all, like just any private patients where they couldn't get to the hospital on time. But then I also supervised any deliveries of the residents' patients from their the, the local, uh, like federally funded clinic. And then also just, honestly, anyone who would come in. Sometimes what nerve-wracking part of the job is you never, you know, anyone can come in with any emergency and it's someone you've never met before. Sometimes someone that doesn't even speak, you know, your language and you have to like immediately meet them, establish some trust and like make a plan sometimes in a few minutes. Right. It's like being an emergency room doctor, but on a labor floor and not an emergency room. Yeah. No, and the difference exactly is they, they frequently in an emergency room situation, much of it is they'll, they'll treat quickly, but then triage, usually they go home or they get admitted and someone else takes care of them. But for if you're an OB hospitalist, they either go home or they get admitted and you take care of them Yeah, pretty much until they go home. Right. right? After yeah. they deliver and whatnot, it can be very nerve wracking to be in that position. So a lot of us have been in that position temporarily, right? You know, either like when I was a fellow, I would moonlight and have that kind of job, you know, one day a week or a weekend here and there. But to do it full time is a very interesting practice. And you do a lot of obstetrics, obviously, a lot of labor and delivery. Mainly labor and delivery. I did also see some patients in the emergency room that would come in for gynecologic emergencies, like um, the patients with ruptured ectopic pregnancies or ruptured ovarian cysts. So we would divide the work, myself and the other doctor would divide the work between the the gynecology patients and the, the labor floor. So I did sometimes have to go to the operating room to take care of a patient with a ruptured ectopic pregnancy and do a laparoscopic procedure. Sometimes I would I would end up doing a DNC if a woman you know was bleeding after, like I say, a pregnancy loss. And then, of course, just being on labor and delivery, we had a lot of normal, uncomplicated deliveries, scheduled C-sections. And then, again, you know, sometimes the whole variety of high-risk issues, preterm labor, preeclampsia. And we worked with the maternal-fetal medicine doctors at, at Hackensack as well to manage these patients. Right. It's interesting because we didn't mention this, but when you were in Chicago, most of what you did was gynecology. Yes. Right. So it's sort of you, you did your residency, which is obviously a mix of both. Then you spent three years doing mostly gynecology. And then your time in Hackensack doing mostly obstetrics. Obviously not all, but mostly. And so you've got to you sort of like split the the field into two for the two places you were at. When I came to back to New York, I thought I was probably also gonna, you know, mainly veer toward doing maybe, you know, more gynecology. But I actually once I was at Hackensack, I really just loved the hospitalist part of the job. I, I realized I had missed seeing the like the the pregnant patients that I had, you know, seen during residency. When I was in Chicago I did some obstetrics, but not as much as I did once I once I came to New York. And then when you went from a position as a laborist to maternal fetal medicine associates, that must have been a pretty big shift for you because number one, you're switching from you know full time obstetrics into hospital with a little gynecology to a lot more outpatient care, you know, longer term care with pregnancy and gynecology and going from place to place. What was it like for you to sort of get back to sort of what you were doing more sort of residency maybe or just the you know, things that you hadn't done before? You know, 
I felt like most of it was still pretty familiar to me. I think what the the biggest adjustment wasn't even so much the knowledge of it because I feel like I had still you know, I, I still sometimes had to, let's say, brush up on a few things like the, the guidelines had changed, let's say, for doing pap smears. So I, you know, we used to do them much more frequently when I was in residency. So there was there were certain things that I didn't do as a hospitalist that I like caught up on. Um, I think just seeing patients in an office setting, you have like a certain amount of time to see a patient and you, know, you need to get certain things done during the visit and learning how to juggle that and make sure everyone feels like they're getting enough time and I'm answering their concerns. But, you know, but also that I am able to you know see everyone i need to see one of sarah's great strengths is how easy it is to talk to you and people you know find you as very pleasant and very kind maybe that's some of the midwest in you rubbing off or, or maybe it's just from your experience of having to like you said develop that rapport very quickly as a laborer someone walks in who's a complete stranger to make them feel comfortable with you and with what's going on immediately is a real challenge. And if you can do it sort of in in the, the trenches of a labor floor and then doing it office, it, it comes off. Because I think that's really one of the main, uh, not challenges, but one of the, the, real, the real skills of seeing people in, in an office setting is to develop a rapport and to have them trust you and be able to talk to you about certain things or ask you questions or be able to elicit the right information from them it's not as easy as one might think. You have to be talented at talking to people and listening. More important than talking is listening, obviously. And at my last position, I had to do a lot of general counseling because I would see patients in our triage area who, who were not being admitted. Some of them were patients of the private doctor. Some of them were patients who had doctors you know, in other hospitals who had just come to Hackensack. And there, were a lot, there was a lot of just review of their evaluation and plan. And some of them, a lot of times I would get into discussions about other comp, you know, issues they were having with their pregnancy. So I feel like I did do a lot of counseling there, even though it was more of an inpatient setting. I think the first time we ever interacted as a patient of ours, yes, I remember that. Yeah, who got admitted to Hackensack. She, she lives in New Jersey and she had an emergency over the weekend. I think it was preterm labor or something yeah. of that sort. She got admitted to Hackensack. We spoke on the phone because you were, and you didn't have to do this, but it was just, you know, courtesy that I'm taking care of this woman that's in the hospital. Maybe I'm going to call the doctor, takes care of her, even though we didn't have a a formal relationship and I wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to like share labs or this or that. And we spoke and I remember because I, I spoke to the patient on the phone, I spoke to her afterwards, how appreciative she was that there was someone at this sort of random hospital that she went to that really took care of her and took the time to speak to her, but also followed up with me and made sure that I was kept up to date with what was going on. And again, and she's, she's shown up there terrified in a hospital she doesn't know, people she doesn't know, and her doctor's not going to be there. And that's, a, that's hard to be on the receiving end to try to quickly establish a relationship with that patient and, and help her through that situation, even if it's going to be temporary. Well, I've seen just in our practice also, and especially for the patients that have a lot of complications in the pregnancy and they're seen by us on such a regular basis that you really do develop a sense of like security and trust in the doctors you see. So if you end up having to go to another hospital where you don't know anyone, you may get excellent care. But now I appreciate more of them in the practice, how nerve wracking that could be, you know, thinking back at all the patients that came in, including the one from from our group who would just show up and you're, and you basically are like, I, you know, I just have to trust whoever's here can take care of me. Cause you don't necessarily, you know, choose to, to go there. Either the ambulance brings you there or, you know, it's the closest place. And, you know, thankfully I really feel there, our hospice group, we, you know, we did give good care to the, to the people. It was a, it was a good group to work with. In medicine in general, there's definitely a, a higher use of people in a hospitalist like position. So 
a lot of hospitals will have doctors whose only job it is to take care of, let's say, medical patients admitted to the hospital, for example. And so they're always there. And so the same concept. And then a lot of labor floors will have hospitalists either to cover all of the deliveries or a subset of the deliveries based on exactly how the how it works. And then now that you're in a situation where you're like when you're covering the labor floor, you're only taking care of, let's say, one, two or three people in labor and everyone else is sort of not in your purview. How does that how does that compare to like sort of being in charge of the whole labor floor? There's, there's actually a lot that's that's kind of that's similar about it. Um, the I, I say that the, when I'm on call, it's kind of as close as I can get to to like what I did with my last job. I think that the difference is, you know, I, I know the patient's better because usually I've seen them, you know, at least a couple times and some, I've, some patients I've even seen more often. So I do have a little bit more of a, of a connection with them. And sometimes also I've done, you know, some of the counseling that I used to do in the hospital. I've already seen them patients, these patients in the office and talked to them if let's say they're there for a, a scheduled C-section or they're, you know, they're being induced or even they're, they're in labor. I would say that usually for, you know, most of our patients, they have a, a, a set plan in place that's usually been established already as opposed to before when, you know, sometimes we were starting from scratch or didn't have any, you know, didn't have any information about the patient and we'd have to, you know, make a plan or get a quick, you know, consult from maternal fetal medicine on, on someone who had just come in. You know, I liked what I did in my last job. The one thing I, I like now when I'm on the labor floor is that I already have a, a, you know, a connection to the patient and, you know, they've already been, you know, taken care of up till that point and I'm, we're not working from, you know, from nothing. I totally agree. And so what do you do when you're not on the labor floor, you're not uh, you're not in the office. What do you do on your on your your free time? What kind of things do you like? I moved to Williamsburg a few months ago, so now my my family jokes that I'm like now like a hundred percent hipster, um, <laughs> and uh, and and many of our patients get excited as well because they're they're kind of neighbors. I really just like exploring the neighborhood, trying different you know different restaurants and 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 bars. I'm a big coffee addict, so whenever I hear about a new cute coffee place, I'll. I'll go out and explore. And I like working out. I, I used to run a lot more. I ran a couple marathons over the last few years, including New York Marathon, which was, I joke, my crowning athletic achievement. <laughs> Running when the weather's nice. Me and my uh, significant other have a cute cat, uh, Chachi, who you know, we love uh, taking care of. And travel as well. When I have the chance, I... I try to pick like an interesting destination each year. I've been to Chile, Argentina the last couple of years. I love I love hiking. Any type of trip that's going to take me to like a, a beautiful area. I attempted to climb Kilimanjaro last year. <laughs> I may make another attempt. I got a little altitude sick. So I, I usually try to do something like that every year. That's fantastic. Well, if you want to see Sarah Costin, you could, you could see her in the office or you can look in the Williamsburg coffee shops for her, <laughs> for her and Chachi or maybe climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on Health the Woman, and we'll have you on again and looking forward to more podcasting with you in the future. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.